Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Diatribe. First and foremost, I'd like to wish all of you a happy Easter. And for our Eastern Orthodox listeners, I would wish you a happy Palm Sunday. I do know that our calendars are different, so I know the celebration is a little different, but it's still a holy time nonetheless. Uh, tonight, we are going to be talking about some Easter traditions. I have very much had a very good Easter Sunday. I spent a lot of time with my family. Uh, you know, did a little bit of theological studying, did a little, little bit of theological thinking, and I'll be doing more theological discussion and discussion of family traditions and other things tonight with my co-host, Red, as always, operating from the wilds of the Upper Peninsula. Uh, have you murdered any cones recently? Oh, not ki- I'm kidding. That's... Uh, and, and before I actually forget, I'm going to remind everybody to like and subscribe to The Daily Diatribe on uh, YouTube. And soon we will be getting uh, another podcasting platform. So soon, hopefully, we will be available on Spotify and maybe iTunes. Who knows how far Let's hope. Technology is a strange, strange thing that we have yet to conquer. Indeed. Technology is a strange beast. But, uh, Red, how how does your family usually celebrate Easter? And then how did they celebrate Easter today? So I guess that's kind of the two questions. Two-pronged question. Um, Well, usually we go... um, we go to church, but you know, uh, the whole quarantine thing. Um, Let's put a damper on things. Yeah. Uh, so we usually do um, an Easter egg hunt. Um, they're always filled with jelly beans. And see, you know, I don't really like jelly beans. 
I mean, I like the purple and the red ones, but that's barely. So I usually give them to my sisters. So you're telling me that every every Easter you will go for an Easter egg hunt uh, with your siblings, you know, as yes. one does. Yes. Uh, now, I similarly, we, we go for an Easter egg hunt, but usually my sister isn't there and, you know, it's kind of been different. So instead of being just me, we invite my little cousin, Olivia, uh, who is about six years old. And this is, so some of the eggs are filled with candies and some of them are filled with one to five dollar bills. Oh, fun. So we have a little deal where I go, okay, I'll just take this boring green paper from you and I will give you my eggs filled with jelly beans and lollipops and candies and all sorts of things. But you will give me these boring eggs filled with, uh, you know, this five dollar bill. You don't need a five dollar bill. Look at it. It's a boring green history paper thing. So I'm just going to take it. Uh, and she thanks me for it. She has for the last three years until last year when she realized uh, what money was. And now, now I have a hard time getting, a, you know, we didn't have one this year, but, you know, I assume if we did that it would, I would run into the same type of trouble. But yeah, we would always have an Easter egg hunt. Uh, my dad's too good at hiding them, I would say, because I remember a few months ago, before this thing started, I found one in the yard. They, they are hardy little creatures, and we haven't found... I, I bet there are probably still some, some left there, randomly, just out of the blue. Uh, usually, obviously, we go to church this morning. Uh, they shouldn't have done this because this was an excuse for me to be lazy. We just turned on the service really, really loudly in the living room. Uh, now, the unfortunate thing for this was my room is close enough to the living room where I could hear the entire thing. So I didn't have to get out of bed to listen to the entire Easter service. See, you're giving me a look, but you didn't turn into virtual Good Friday. So I, I don't want any judgment. No judgment. Uh, but yes, I did I did listen to it. It was good. It made me happy. Uh, I was glad to kind of have that. But I also kind of missed, you know, being in a real church with real people, talking to real people, shaking real hands, and, you know, having a real good time with you know, my brothers and sisters in Christ at church. And so that that's that was an experience that I didn't like that was taken away from me. But, you know, uh, it's just something we all have to deal with nowadays. And it's it's kind of annoying. But I think we all understand that it's kind of what we need to do right now to stay safe. And it, although, Well, I'm sorry to say the handshake is probably dead. Huh, that, 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 that's also a big casualty of this. I... That for upsets one, me. I, for one, liked handshakes. I know people didn't like handshakes. People people have always no. been on handshakes, but I, I was like always handshakes. a fan of handshakes. I was always Because, you know, I have to impress adults a lot. Like, most recently was for Kiko. We had to ask for a donation. I had to think, wow, this person's great. Let's give her some money. <laughs> this person's great. Let's give her some money. I love that. And so I went... There's this thing called the Lions Club, which is like, like a service club, but for, like for all men. And so I'm there, like, besides my advisor, we were, like, the only women there. And so, you know, I had to friends, like, a bunch of old guys. So what do I do? I shake their hands three separate times. They go, wow, young lady, you have quite the handshake. And I go, thank you, sir. And then they donated $500 to our club. So anything is possible. So you see, you see, you health warriors, you're robbing it Girls did. in the Upper Peninsula of $500 donations for trips. Think, think about, about what, what you've done. Think about what you're doing, health experts. Uh, I do think it was interesting, though, is that uh, the handshake is dead. That's been, you know, a big 
societal casualty of the coronavirus. But what I'm actually interested in is, did we start the whole quarantine thing too late? I was discussing this earlier with, you know, my family. And what I said is, you know, plagues back in the day would infect a city like London, burn through a large part of the population really quickly, and then die down. My question was, is that did we step on the fuse too late? Like, did we stop it? Did we shut everything down too late? So the fuse is already burning, and we put our foot down already on the burn part of the fuse, and it's already, you know, it's already headed towards the keg of dynamite. That's kind of my question. Uh, what do I you think? I don't know. Neither do I. And that's, that's kind well, of... Well, I think at this point it's too late to really question that since, I mean, no change in the past. We do, we do have a lot of coronavirus deaths here in the United States. Uh, I, I am going to maintain, and I know people are not going to like this, but I'm going to maintain that the Chinese are lying about their numbers. I know, heaven forbid I say something bad about the Chinese government. But, uh, yeah, I really think that they're lying about their totals. They closed down another city just like they closed down Wuhan. Uh, they've reopened the wet markets, so that's great. Uh, no. so, so now you can go buy your bat stew and your dog pudding and your uh, monkey brains and... I know that sounds offensive, what I'm saying, but all of that, I looked it up, is real stuff that you can buy at a Chinese wet market. So, just think about it. I don't want any bat soup. I, I, you know, and this is kind of interesting. For an authoritarian regime, they really suck at this. Certain parts of it. It, it almost seems, and you know, forgive me for being conspiratorial. As you know, I never like to be conspiratorial. Uh, oh, you say you don't like it, then you're frequently conspiratorial. What's the truth? Well, the truth is is that I don't like being conspiratorial, but sometimes it's necessary. Uh, but the, the truth would be is that you would think, from the way they're acting, that they want this crisis to continue, that they want everything to get worse, that they want things to continue to decline, that they want America to con Americans to continue to die, that they want to continue profiting off of this by... Because remember... We're importing a ton of masks from them right now, and a lot of them are defective as all heck. Let me tell you, the state of Georgia had a big contract where they were importing a ton of masks from China. They canceled it the other day because the masks were defective. The ventilators were defective. Things weren't working. They have such low quality standards that it's almost suspicious. It's almost suspicious what they're doing. And so... You got to think about it. You got to think about who stands to gain. I've, I've repeated this as sort of a mantra before uh, when it comes to crises is you always have to ask yourself who stands to gain. That's what are your thoughts? Well, you know, normally I do try to avoid talking bad about anything, whether it be, a, you know, a, like people, a group or, you know, a nation. But, you know, I do agree that the government has been, you know, a little shady the people of China have, you know, nothing to do with this, but, you know, the government itself has not been great. I would, I would agree with you there is that uh, the people of China, a lot of people in China who are not, you know, of the Communist Party, uh, who may be Tibetan, who may be Uyghur, who may even be Cantonese or Manchu, are similarly victims of this kind of thing because they are not in the majority. They're being persecuted. We know that so many... Members, uh, you know, so many people in the nation of China who are not Han Chinese, who may be, you know, as I said, Tibetan or Uyghur, are being persecuted left, right, and center and being sent to mass detention uh, camps and uh, concentration camps almost. 
And so I would really say that something really needs to be done about China. Something always needs to be done about China. That's kind of my whole thing with the coronavirus is that, you know, it's really exposed and China as the, the kind of not the great evil of the world, but yeah, kind of the great evil of the world. And, you know, I just like to say um, there has been a lot of um, anti-Chinese behaviors towards like individual American citizens. And, you know, regardless about how you feel about this whole situation, that's unacceptable. Oh, totally. And I would agree. Really, you can't do that. I would agree. And, and I remember a few weeks ago. You know, I was talking to uh, a lot of people because, you know, Cranbrook has a lot of students who are from Asia, different countries mm -hmm. in Asia, including China, including Korea, uh, a lot of other ones. Uh, and there's, you know, there's a, lar a broad perspective of viewpoints, but I will tell you, uh, there are an, a, a decent amount of them, no small portion, who do like the Communist Party of China, mm. who are communists, who are Maoists, who deny Tiananmen Square, who think, you know, Taiwan's not a real nation. And that kind of creates a little bit of con conflict, especially with the Korean and Taiwanese students. Uh, that's been told to me in the past. I don't know if we have any Taiwanese students currently, but I know that that's something that, that they've talked about in the past. Uh, and so what I was kind of thinking about, you know, is how are other countries around China going to react? Are they going to start being outwardly hostile? Now, I don't mean hostile like, you know, they're going to start launching bombs towards them, but I mean like, you know, we're not going to trade with you or we're not going to import with you or we're just going to make it a hassle to get a visa because, you know, we understand that you have a reckless government. You know, it's kind of suspicious. It's just kind of suspicious. Because, mm -hmm. you know, looking at a at a related topic, at, in a related topic, North Korea doesn't really have a lot of problems with the coronavirus. That's that's kind of my question. North Korea. They don't have they I think they are one of the only countries on earth without any reported case of the coronavirus. Well, sorry. They had one case of the coronavirus and they shot the guy. Uh and, that, and then that was it. But you know. And you know, that's it's interesting. And and Additionally, I, I don't believe China has only had... Sorry, China, I don't believe you. I don't believe that only 3,000 people have died in China. That's the same... It's been the same number for two months. I don't, I'm not buying it. I'm not, I'm not, you know, not buying it, China. Not buying it. Uh, well, back to Easter. Ah, back to Easter. Something... something. It's, it's interesting to think about, though, because I, I would like to see... I think we've seen a little bit of a turnaround today. Uh... Because, you know, we've seen a lot of developments today with, you know, Biogen, the hydroxychloroquine. Uh, there are a lot of developments today. Uh, and I don't really know what is going to happen. You know, I said we're going we're gonna to wait till next week. But, you know, what's interesting is that Britain has almost now full compliance with the stay-at-home orders after, you know, their prime minister got it. Uh, we have... You know, prisoners, uh, the prison, or not prison breaks, but outbreaks of the coronavirus in prison. Uh, mm -hmm. And then, this is interesting. I'd like to see this because The Hill recently wrote an article that said there's a worrisome link between the coronavirus and pollution. Now, I don't know about the veracity of this article, but I do know something. If this article says experts are worried about coronavirus and pollution, 
I don't want to see more than a single sentence blaming or talking about how this is in America. Because if there's a link between coronavirus and pollution, then China is definitely lying about their amount of cases, don't you think? Don't you think? Well, I mean... I thought you were going to take that in a completely different direction and you were going to say, I don't buy pollution. However, 5G. Yeah, I, I did not do the 360 and complain about 5G. I know. I know. Again. I am not an anti-5G advocate. I just want the truth. I just want every, I just want everything laid out there before we commit, you know, our society, our populations, and our people to something that we don't really understand. And so I, th I think that that is a complete, I think that my viewpoint is completely rational and not, you know, crazy by any, you know, definition of the word. I just think I want some, you know, stricter, more clear-cut answers when it comes to things like uh, 5G. And uh, I think I am well within my rights to demand that type of thing. But we do have to question how... China is lying about this, how much they've lied about it. And what do we do going forward? How is China going to continue with world relations while this goes on? Or even after? I don't think anyone's going to trust them. And I think that they realize that. And so, you know, maybe it's China's endgame. Who knows? Who knows? But, you know, back to Easter. If I can make this, you know, if I can venture down a big theological point, we see that the earth is going through more still kind of going through more of a good Friday than it is going through an Easter Sunday. So maybe, maybe the Orthodox are maybe you're a little bit more correct about their date of Easter. Let's see what happens next Sunday. Cause I think there is something faded around this time, but we kind of see this whole, the, the torturing of the earth as Christ was tortured for our sins. We kind of see the earth and many people dying and suffering for the sin of greed displayed by the Chinese government when they decided to keep everything open, when they decided to let the disease spread across the earth and kill hundreds of thousands of people. The China in this case would be kind of, it seems like the, both the Sanhedrin and Pontius Pilate, where, you know, they have done something horrible and they have condemned the earth to this fate. And they've condemned many people to this fate. Because so far right now, there have been 113,000 deaths. Uh, and the average throughout the world is 237.2 cases per million people. Whoa. Yeah, 237 cases per million people. And that's an issue. We got 1.8 million confirmed cases. And so we're going to have big problems and so we kind of have as i previously stated the the earth being kind of offered up as a sacrifice to greed uh oh poor san marino gosh darn so, now now this is kind of an interesting thing this is on a little bit of a happier note uh, not even a happier note this is just on a the i think san marino is probably san marino is a really small country if, you, if you've ever if you've ever even heard of it i have not but the really small countries are really high in the cases per million factor because they're, they don't have a million people. And so it's kind of interesting. Uh, there are some countries without it, like Tajikistan. Uh, but I also would like to take this point to point out that, you know, a lot of the African countries, we, there are 13 cases in Malawi, 
280 cases in Senegal. Uh, and then 300, 323 cases in Nigeria. And then remember, that is a country that is packed right on top of itself. It's got 190 million people in a place about the size of three times the size of Michigan. So I just want to point that out again. Uh, Venezuela actually has quite a few. Uh, they got 181, but I, again, I would I would think that they're one of the under-reporting nations. I think a lot of the Western countries are being honest. I don't know if Iran's being honest, because Iran has 71,000 confirmed cases, and that seems really bad to me. Uh, well, I don't think they have any reason to over-exaggerate their cases. No, but I mean like under-exaggerate. Hmm. But who knows? Who knows? Uh, do you have any... Any other more, you know, kind of happier sort of thing to discuss? Because other than that, I mean, pretty much all we did for Easter today was we, you know, we sat around the table, we ate some, uh, ate some uh, steak and some you know, green beans and some potatoes. Because you're finally off Lent. Yep. And some turkey and some gravy and some water. And, and some... Yay, and water! Some, and some bread. Uh, and then we watched... The first, I don't know, then we watched like 40 minutes of the movie Ratatouille. <laughs> and, and then we all just kind of broke up and did our own thing. And so that was kind of fun. Um, so, I mean, this wasn't like for Easter. But yesterday we, uh, we dyed some hard-boiled eggs since we have chickens and we have nothing else better to do with the eggs. Um, and we, we dyed them in kind of an unorthodox way. So, um... Please don't Copies. tell me you like. Actually, I, I want to know now because I'm not even gonna guess. Go on. <laughs> so a couple of years ago, my mom found like mess-free way to dye your Easter eggs. And so what we do is we take some rice and we put it in a Ziploc bag and we put food coloring in the bag and we put an egg in the bag. We close the bag and we kind of like move it around and it dyes the egg. My we sister and I did that last year. We didn't even dye eggs this year because we would use them normally for the Easter egg hunt, but we didn't do an Easter egg hunt year be this year because that would be kind of crazy. Yeah. That would be kind of crazy. So we decided not to do an Easter egg hunt this year. It's kind of a shame, though, you know, all this stuff is going on right now. And, you know, I mean, just, just besides, you know, the global pandemic and, you know, obviously, without a doubt, we feel, you know, sad and remorseful for everything going on on a larger scale. But I think mm -hmm. every, on a smaller scale, on a way that impacts our everybody's daily lives, I think that we know that a lot of our daily routines are changing. Uh, you know, not not even daily routines. You know, weekly, monthly rituals, routines are all changing. And you know, we really wonder how long will we have to kind of accommodate to this system that we're not used to. And I get it; it's uncomfortable. It's strange. It's unusual, and it's probably even a little bit scary. But I think we just kind of all needs to understand. I mean, we just kind of all need to understand that we were. I hate to say we're all in this together, but I, I got to find something else. We're all in the same boat, basically. Uh, and for the boat to not, you know, tip over and capsize, uh, we all need to stay in the boat. <laughs> but for some reason, people want to go outside of the boat. I get it. If you need to go out for, you know, essential services, if you're a doctor, if you're something like that, obviously. Uh, but, you know, I think that it's the stay at home orders are important. I understand that they're important. Uh, I meant to talk about this a few nights ago, but I just remembered uh, my grandmother called me a few days ago and she had the greatest story. Do you know what she did? 
So she, she doesn't really have anything to do because, you know, she, she's retired. My grandfather's retired. And so what my grandmother did was she ordered three or four dozen, I, don't, I think, batches of donuts. So, or maybe it was boxes. I don't know. It was like two dozen boxes of donuts. She ordered a lot of donuts is what I'm saying. <laughs> well into the hundreds. And she, you know, had them delivered to a hospital for all the medical staff, you know, doctors and nurses, paramedics, you know, everybody who was, you know, working overtime to make sure that people continue to be safe and that people continue to be cared for. So I, I just wanted to take time to mention that because I remember she called me and told me about that a few days ago. And I thought that it's really important. You know, that, that those are kind of little acts of kindness that we can still do in this world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's an important thing to do, I think. Don't you? I, I definitely agree. Uh, and I just think that's something we could use probably a little bit more of in this world as we're going forward, you know, just to, retain the community spirit even if though you're not necessarily with your community or interacting with your community in person it's important that we don't let the spirit of community you know run out the spirit of community during times like this are is pretty much all that we have right pretty much all that we have yeah getting more oh go go on apparently this is completely off topic but a virtual um a virtual petition with um, to remove uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer from office has received 120,000 virtual signatures. Are they are they mostly from Michigan residents or they're from other places too? I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? I, I, I don't know if that's a lot. Uh, I'll actually have to look that up because I've met, I've met Governor Whitmer. I know you've talked to Governor Whitmer. Uh, yeah, I meant not Governor. to brag, but I was on TV with Governor Whitmer. Oh, maybe I think there might be more than one petition because I'm currently seeing a different petition that has seventy thousand out of a seventy-five thousand dollar goal, uh, and the and the petition that I'm seeing, all of them are Michigan. In the I just sent you the link to the um, news article that I saw. Okay, but I I am okay. I see out of all the things I, I'm I've looked at about you know at least 40 or 50 signatures and I, all of them are from Michigan except one which is from Oregon uh, and one that's from Paolo, Paolo. Oregonians Palau. against, Palau. against uh, Gretchen Whitmer I, I see Palau I see Oregon uh, but mostly by and large I see a lot of Michigan I see one Arizona like, uh, b- by the way somebody signed the petition because he doesn't like her name <laughs> uh Let's start from the beginning, says Joshua V. from Michigan. Her name. I hate her name. <laughs> oh, I love that. I think, regardless of how you feel about Gretchen Whitmer, is now really the time? Uh, yeah, we don't like her because she, she has a... I don't... Some of these are kind of strange. I mean, I think that people are definitely motivated by fear. I don't think we should let the fear go to our heads. Uh, People are saying Michigan's economy is getting ruined. Uh, Somebody says that Michigan is becoming a communist country. Kind of feels like the whole country is becoming a communist country, but that's not because of a... Yeah, Michigan's a state. that's That's not because of a Governor Whitmer, and that's not because of President Trump. It's because of an actual communist country. Uh an actual communist country. And so you, 
Ah, yes. I love that the Upper Peninsula News knows what to call itself. Up North Live. I love that. You know it. UpNorthLive.com. Let's take a look at this. We see another petition. Another petition to uh, impeach Gretchen Whitmer. I don't get why there's so. I mean, now is not like necessarily the time to impeach, you know, anybody. Uh, yeah. And I, I think that this is important for the signers of the petition to understand. Even if you don't like her, okay? If there is a recall petition, because that's the only kind of petition you can do for, you know, getting rid of a governor. You, the, the people can't impeach her. The people can recall her. But if she was recalled, there would have to be another election. And how are we going to do that? Exactly. Huh? How are we going to do another election? There is only, I mean, maybe that's an effective way. There is only one governor who has survived a recall election. And I don't mean like they killed him. Uh, <laughs> After uh, they recall you, you're dead. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it was it was in June. Uh, it was in June of 2012. There was a recall election of Scott Walker, the then governor of Wisconsin. He had been elected in 2010 with 52% of the vote. And then in 2012, there was a recall election in which he got 53% of the vote. So it wasn't, it wasn't that successful of an effort, but it certainly was an effort. I can't say that it wasn't an effort, uh, but it didn't, it didn't work. Uh, and I thought that that was interesting. Uh, additionally, Scott Walker is actually kind of, is an, an interesting figure in my view, because Scott Walker, so I'm going to just paint this for you. He won in 2010, okay? Mm-hmm. Then he won his recall election in 2012. He won normal re-election in 2014. So this man had to face an election every two years. Uh, uh, and then finally he got, he got to wait four years. <laughs> and he then lost the 2018 election. And what kind of weirded me out about that is he actually got more votes in the 2018 election than he did in the 2014 election. But turnout was actually really high. So he ended up losing. And I, I wonder if he'll run for governor again. But, you know, who knows? Because, you know, who knows when we'll be able to have elections again? See, my question is, do you think Joe Biden's going to ask uh, Whitmer to be the vice president? I would be surprised if Joe Biden asked Whitmer to be. She's got up to, like, number two on a lot of, like, vice president picks, usually under, oh, man. Kamala Harris, I think. You see, I would be skeptical of that because I feel like the people of Michigan, if Biden chose her as his VP, I think, number one, the people of Michigan might be flattered, which, you know, I might be. Who knows? Like, uh, you know. But we also would feel like, hey, why are you taking our governor during this crisis? Like, come on, man. I don't think he'll announce it until, you know, after, you know, the, um... But how long, um, how long is it going to be is the real question. I don't know. Uh, California is going until May 15th now. May 15th. That is quite a long time. Probably too long. New York Post is saying Amy Klobuchar for frontrunner. 
Amy Klobuchar. Now, that would actually be an interesting choice, I think, for Biden. If Biden chose Amy Klobuchar as his running mate, I'd say he's probably got a good chance because he's just, you know, picking right from the Midwest is that Biden's from Pennsylvania, Klobuchar's from Minnesota. If they win back, you know, Wisconsin under that formulation, they win. If they win back Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, they win. But, you know, who really knows what's going to happen there? Let's see. On on the um, Esquire list, there's Kamala Harris, Amy Klobuchar, Elizabeth Warren, Stacey Abrams, Tammy Baldwin, Gretchen Whitmer, Tammy Duckworth, Michelle Lujan Grisham. I really hope I said her name right. And uh, that's all that was on that list. But I don't... I think it's going to be um, Kamala Harris because he has said he wants a, a woman of color to be his uh, running mate. You know, historically, not even, I don't even, not really historically because this hasn't been for that long. But, you know, just a few or four, four or five months ago, we had a lot of people saying, and I didn't even hear her on that list, saying that Stacey Abrams would be his uh, running mate. Not gonna lie, I don't know who Stacey Abrams is. Stacey Abrams was the Democratic nominee for governor of Georgia in the 2018 midterms. Mm. And uh, that's something, at least. I don't mean like something as in like that's nothing, but I mean that's something as in, you know, it's something to ponder about. Uh, who, who really knows? Who really knows? Indeed. Uh, but I do think that when there finally comes time to be a presidential election, I think that there will be a major issue. Because if we don't have the whole coronavirus thing sorted out by then, mm-hmm. it will confuse people. Like, should we go vote? Should we not go vote? You know, what's safe? I think, what is I think safe? they might want to go for the absentee ballot. I think that there probably will be a lot of absentee ballot voting. Uh, maybe everyone will get mailed a ballot. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, uh, I, um, there's this channel, YouTube channel I watch called uh, Legal Eagle. He's a, he's a um, lawyer that, you know, makes videos about, you know, hmm. law and stuff and his most recent one was can the election be postponed and essentially no i don't think that they would necessarily postpone it sorry i don't think they would necessarily postpone it but i think that it not being postponed would severely limit turnout which is also kind of bad i think you know i think the way to combat this is either like doing like a mailing or online now there's concern with like you know online with like you know hackers and whatnot but you know i would never trust an online election i would not trust an online election farther than i could throw it you can't throw the internet exactly (laughs) which is why i don't believe that we should ever conduct an election online that seems dangerous to me that seems uh reckless Uh, with you know everybody's votes Uh, so that's not something that I would trust it's not something that I would encourage going forward in the future Uh, you know now I have I I have a different topic uh, back on the topic of Easter you know since we've been just 
switching topics madly during this episode. Yeah. Uh, I would just like to... That's kind of on brand for us, though. Uh, that is kind of par for the course, really. But thinking about it, I'm going to describe now, because I've been doing some reading on this, theological reading, uh, on okay. the Holy Trinity. And, you know, there was a lot of debates up on the Holy Trinity to, you know, up to the Council of Nicaea. And one of the big questions was, and here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you the questions. And, okay. And I'll I'll see if you accidentally commit a heresy. Uh oh. Uh, so, here is my question. Okay. Out of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which one is greatest? I don't like that. I don't like that. Or you, or you can or you can say that they're all equal. Who knows? See, I was gonna say, like, true question all equal, but since you said that you could say they're all equal, I feel like you're putting out a red herring. Don't do that to me! <laughs> I don't want to commit a heresy! Don't worry, it's, it's, not, it's only a heresy in Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy. We're Protestants, we're, we're fine. You know, I don't want to be that person who's like, true question all equal, so I... I'm going to say the father. Well, it, it depends. It if, depends. Because if you were now, I do, I do have to say you did commit a heresy, but, but there are plenty of people that actually agree with you. Okay. Uh, the council of Nicaea was kind of about that is that the Arius, who was a presbyter from Alexandria, got into a fight with his Bishop, whose name was Alexander of Alexandria. Don't make fun of his name. Uh, I get it. It's Alexander from Alexandria. It's funny. Uh, but Alexander <laughs> oh, of Alexandria yeah. got into a fight with Arius. And Arius is like, well, the father begot the son before time. So the son, who is the word of God, the Logos, which is the son, Christ, is the greatest of all of the created things. Okay? The greatest of all of the created things. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the Holy Spirit fits somewhere in between. But th that wasn't the debate. Uh, and the people who were of the Alexandrian formulation or followers of Athanasius, who was, you know, kind of Alexander's assistant, were like, no, 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 no. They are co-eternal. Uh, you know, one trinity in unity. You know, they are not three gods, but one. And, you know, forever and ever and ever and ever. But Arius is like, no, that doesn't make sense. The word father implies that there is some sort of hierarchy in there. And they were like, no, that no, we, we assigned the word father to it so we could comprehend it. It's it's father because the name is father and because he is father to the son. And Arius said, oh, yeah, well, that doesn't mean anything. And they said, no, it, it does, Arius. You're just taking a surface level definition of something and not actually, you know, reading into the deeper meaning of us assigning a name to something so that we could understand it. And then Arius Come on, goes, Arius. And then Arius goes, oh, yeah, well, you're stupid. And then and then and then. <laughs> Uh, Athanasius goes, no, you're stupid. And then Eusebius goes, uh, no, I, I, I think that you're, I, I think that Alexander and Athanasius are stupid. And then other Eusebius, yes, there are two Eusebius, the Eusebii are like, if yeah, we, we, and both Eusebii are like, yeah, we kind of like Arius, uh, but we just really don't like Athanasius. But everyone else there was like, no, Athanasius is definitely right. Uh, and they got into this whole argument over a Greek word. Uh, naturally because you know they were speaking greek uh and so the debate was the debate eventually kind of devolved into this term because athanasius okay athanasius 
according to the accounts that I've read, was kind of a jerk. Even though he's a saint, but he was kind of a jerk. So he found a word in theology that he knew Arius would disagree to no matter what. So he added the word to the creed that they would all have to agree upon just so Arius couldn't agree to it. Uh, and so he could appear to be the moderate one while just keep adding this word everywhere. And Arius is like, no, you can't say homoousios, which means of the same, that the father and the son are of the same substance. And Arius said, you know, you can't add that. And Athanasius was like, homoousios, homoousios, homoousios. And, and Arius is like, no, please stop. And then it, you know, becomes a big fight, you know, big fight in the 319 bishops. And Constantine, the emperor who's there, is like, what if you said homo eusios, which means of similar substance? And then everyone's like, you're the emperor, so we can't call you stupid, but you're being <laughs> stupid. Uh, so naturally, that, that, that kind of split up everything. And then Arius lost the debate, obviously, uh, got kicked out, out and banished from the empire. But then, <laughs> but then, but not for long, uh... So it turns out Eusebius, I don't remember if it was of Nicomedia or Caesarea, but I'm just going to say Nicomedia. Eusebius of Nicomedia was related to the emperor's wife. So that decision by the emperor to banish Eusebius did not go down too well with his wife. So when Constantine got back to the definitely not uh, self-serving capital city named Constantinople, he told his wife, and she was like, hey, how'd the council go? It's like, oh, yeah, we exiled Eusebius. And he's like, she's like, what? You can't exile Eusebius. Bring him back. And he's like, fine, I'll bring back Eusebius. Eusebius comes back and then immediately starts spreading the Arius, Arius's ideas all throughout the royal palace. And Constantine's like, Ari, or, can, Eusebius, can you please stop doing this? And Eusebius is like, have you ever heard of Arius? And Constantine's like, yes, I was there. And he's like, well, you should definitely agree with him. And then Constantine's like, get out of my sight. And then, and then Constantine's wife is like, am. And then he's like, uh. And then he has to bring back Eusebius. Uh, that is probably the most fun way that has ever been explained. Uh, but that's also a very low bar. Uh, additionally... While you were doing that, I was just eating some of my... <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is kind of how it ends, okay? So the Eusebii get together and they're like, okay, we're, we're kind of losing now, but I have an idea. Uh, so they write... They, basically, they transcribe the Bible into German, okay? Mm-hmm. And then they send it out to all the Germanic tribes in the Western Roman Empire. They're like, okay. hey, you know, read the good news. It's all Arius, Arius, Arius. And so the Germanic tribes all get converted to Ar the Arian Christianity. Uh, so when you read, and this is something that's going to make you, your history classes have lied to you for your entire lives, is that when you read that Rome was sacked by pagans, it was not. All of the Germanic tribes that collapsed west the Western Roman Empire were actually just a different type of Christians. Hmm. So remember, Different Christian, therefore pagan. Yes. And so Clovis, if you ever read about the conversion of Clovis, we had to read that a lot about that. I have not. But this is, there was this like whole thing. It's like, oh, Clovis was a pagan, but then he got converted. No, it turns out he was just an Aryan Christian. And then, and then he reads, and then he gets this holy vision, and then he becomes Catholic. And it's like, oh, this story is now a lot less impressive. Because it wasn't really a, it wasn't really a big revelation. Different kind of Christian. It was like, it's, this isn't some huge big revelation. He was just like, okay. I guess the son is homoousios to the father instead of being in a slightly subservient position. Uh, so it wasn't really actually that big of a leap, which kind of makes me sad. But there, there are actually actual big leaps that they could include, but no, they include that one. Uh, but, you know, just kind of on that topic, uh, 
we know because of you know the documents of the time is that with you know Christianity the way it was then and there was a lot of exiles and so temporarily a lot of the time temporarily Arianism was winning okay Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Athanasius would just get thrown out of his see. He was now the bishop of Alexandria. So he'd just get exiled randomly. And he, it was just like, okay, Athanasius, it's time to go into exile again. You're losing the debate. And he's like, oh, man. Uh, I imagine, like, Athanasius, go to your room. Yeah, except it was like, go to the middle of the desert. And think about what you've done. And then he'd come back and it's like, I have thought absolutely nothing about what I have done. And I actually agree with myself more now. Uh <laughs> And so they just they just kind of had this back and forth. And so basically, uh, Alexandria believed in, you know, the Trinity normally. Uh, then the Levant, so like Antioch and Jerusalem, were like agreeing with, you know, Arius, more along the lines. And Constantinople was just like, can we just get something done here? Uh, and then Rome was like, I have no idea what any of you were talking about. Uh because, you know, four of the five seas of the Pentarchy were in the east, they were, like, kind of all there squabbling with each other. And there was only one sea in the west, and that was Rome. And so they got all, Rome had all this power because Rome was like, we have no idea what you're talking about. Because uh, it was like, because it was literally kind of, it's all Greek to me because they spoke Latin and everyone else spoke Greek. And they were like, that was bad. Get it? It's all because it was all Greek to them. That even wasn't technically even a pun. It was that it was actually all Greek, and they were like, "I don't appreciate that." But uh, they kind of agreed with Novation and Tetrarillion, whose names I butchered. Uh, but Novation kind of had started his own heresy. But one of his bishops got invited to the Council of Nicaea, and he was just—I I don't know if it was by accident—but they invited, like, they technically invited a Novationist, which is a heretical bishop. And he was like, "Yeah, no, we had believed this stuff already." That's kind of why you exiled us. And they're like, mm-hmm. uh, but he actually got accepted back into the church and Novationist kind of reintegrated into the Catholic church. But it was just kind of weird to think about is that uh, there was that big debate. And the, the thing that kind of concerns me going forward is this is how Athanasius developed his theology. Okay. Athanasius thought of an idea. Okay. He just thought of an idea about how things should work. And then mm-hmm. he looked to the scripture to find supporting evidence for his viewpoint. Uh, Arius did the opposite thing. He was like, okay, what is the scripture actually saying? And then I will formulate my viewpoint based off of what the scripture is saying. Uh, See, I feel like that should kind of be the way it goes. Yeah, that's kind of what a lot of modern theologians realize. Because I talked to a theologian. I talked to uh, Dr. Hibbard uh, at UD Mercy. You know, just to prove that I have, you know, real credentials to talk about this. Not really. I don't have any credentials to talk about this. This is based on a conversation and some books that I've read. But uh, he kind of told me this. So this actually is credible. Uh, But he told me that a lot of theologians Uh in the modern academic field harbor things that they call personal heresies. (laughs) Which are things that have definitely been condemned by a council. But they're like, no, no, that that just kind of seems wrong. Uh, but mm-hmm. additionally, I told him because when I had first started studying theology, uh, it had mostly, cause I, I'd only, you know, studied like the Bible itself, uh, you know, reading the Bible, listening to its words and all, all that kind of stuff. But he told me, he told me this is that from a direct reading of the Bible, you would have, you would have supported Arius's idea. And I was like, yeah, I, I kind of did. Like before I started studying theology, I was like, okay, so we got 
we have the father up here and then the son was either you know created by the father but since uh i learned just a few years before this that jesus was in the old testament as the word of god i was like okay so the so before time so i was like in a time before time god must have created the son and the holy spirit and then just going forward so they have always been existent in time together but before time the son or the father existed before the son but before time so it doesn't really count in our understanding because we are puny humans that live inside of the constraints of time and god does not uh and i didn't think myself to be you know i, I didn't think that i believed in three gods i thought you know they're all one piece of the godhead because they're all parts of god so the mm -hmm. son or the son is a part of god and so i was like okay that makes sense and then i started reading theology and I'm like oh i'm a heretic oh great i was like so i talked to dr Hibbert and he said yeah, you would get that from a normal reading of the Bible. You know, since the only, you know, theological training I had had up to that point was reading, reading a book or before that, I guess, before I had started reading the books was reading the Bible and going to Sunday school. He's like, yeah, mm -hmm. it, it makes sense. If that was your only experience, that's why you were probably agreed with Arius. And I looked this up and statistically, most evangelical Christians, and I'm not an evangelical Christian, but I'm a, just a mainline Protestant. I, I don't actually know whether my church would fall into evangelical Christianity, but uh, most evangelical Christians, 71% of them, believe in Arianism. But similarly, 94% of them describe themselves as Trinitarians. Now, those things are mutually exclusive. Yeah. So that was kind of confusing. I think I've theologied everyone's ears off by now. Uh, is anyone actually still listening? Oh, there are three people still tuned in. Thank you, three people. Please don't go away. We appreciate you. Please don't go. I feel like now that I've acknowledged them, they're going to leave. Please don't leave me. Uh, regardless, I think we are going to wrap up tonight, unless Red has anything more entertaining to say. Uh, nope. Nope. Not, not today. Not today. Do you have a song suggestion for the closing? song see i'm really bad at coming up with closing song suggestions because all the songs i like are not royalty free so i am just going to play a random song and so i'm not actually gonna look up random song because i feel like that would be too risky yeah uh and i already played the oliver cromwell song so that 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 was just too much uh, what what do, what songs do I have? Let let's let's see let's see. Ah yes, this is this is a song by Tom Lehrer about plagiarizing math papers. It is completely unrelated to anything we have talked about tonight, but it is a funny 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 song, and he sings it in a Russian accent. So everybody enjoy this. For many years now, Mr. Danny Kay, who has been my particular idol since childbirth, has been doing a routine. <laughs> a routine about the great Russian director Stanislavski and the secret of success in the acting profession. And I thought it would be interesting to, st to adapt this idea to the, uh, to the uh, field of mathematics. I always like to make explicit the fact that before I went off not too long ago to fight in the trenches, I was a mathematician by profession. I don't like people to get the idea that I have to do this for a living. I mean, it isn't as though I had to do this, you know. 
I could be making, oh, $3,000 a year just teaching. <laughs> be that as it may, some of you may have had occasion to run into mathematicians and to wonder, therefore, how they got that way. <laughs> Here, in partial explanation, perhaps, is the story of the great Russian mathematician Nikolai Ivanovich Lobachevsky. <laughs> the genius I am today, the mathematician that others all quote? Who's the professor that made me that way? The greatest that ever got chalk on his coat. Who on man deserves the credit? Who on man deserves the blame? And Nikolai Ivanovich Lobachevsky is his name. Hey, Nikolai Ivanovich Lobachevsky. I am never forget the day I first meet the great Lobachevsky. In one word, he told me secret of success in mathematics. Plagiarize. Plagiarize. Let no one else's work evade your eyes. Remember why the good Lord made your eyes. So don't change your eyes, but plagiarize, plagiarize, plagiarize. Only be sure always to call it, please, research. <laughs> and ever since I meet this man, my life is not the same. And Nikolai Ivanovich Lobachevsky is his name. Hey, Nikolai Ivanovich Lobachevsky. I never forget the day. I'm given first original paper to write. It was on analytic and algebraic topology of local Euclidean metrization of infinitely differentiable Riemannian manifold. Boy, I? <laughs> this I know from nothing. <laughs> but I think of great Lobachevsky and I get ideas. <laughs> I have a friend in Minsk who has a friend in Pinsk, whose friend in Omsk has friend in Tomsk with friend in Akmolinsk. His friend in Alexandrovsk has friend in Petropavlovsk, whose friend somehow is solving now the problem in Yabopetrovsk. And when his work is done, haha, begins the fun. From Yabopetrovsk to Petropavlovsk, by way of Yisk and Novorossiysk, to Alexandrovsk, to Akmolinsk, to Tomsk, to Omsk, to Pinsk, to Minsk, to me the news will run. Yes, to me the news will run. Ah, Soon my name in Yevopetrovsky's cursed when he finds out I publish first. And who made me a big success and brought me wealth and fame? Nikolai Ivanovich Lobachevsky is his name. Hey, Nikolai Ivanovich Lobachevsky. I am never forget the day my first book is published. Every chapter I stole from somewhere else. Index I copy from old Vladivostok telephone directory. This book. This book was sensational. Pravda, ah, Pravda. Pravda said, Jill Bilkarali Kagdatar, Prunyam Vlachajila, it stinks. But, Izvestia. Izvestia said, Yai, Dukuda Sansari, Yot Peshkom, it stinks. Metro Goldwyn, Moscow, bought the movie rights for six million rubles, changing title to The Eternal Triangle. With Brigitte Bardot playing part of hypotenuse. <laughs> <laughs> and who deserves the credit? And who deserves the credit?